My sisters, oh my goodness. Hello, ladies. Hello, hello, hello. How y'all been? Let me see. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. My God, hello. How are you all doing? Happy Founders Day, ladies. Oh, that's right. Happy Founders Day, my sister. Happy Founders Day, my, my sisters, the Divine Nine. Guess, guess, guess. Let us know that you are here. Let us know that you are here. Come on, yes. Happy Founders Day. You guys have Day. good holidays? It's, I know. It's just, it seems like we. it's not, it's been forever since we've been together. It has been yeah. forever. Yeah. Yes, Wallace, amazing. you look you look fancy. I see you. Ooh, girl, it's been a day. <laughs> it's been a day. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. I forgot. That's all you're gonna. Say. I forgot how to use Streamlabs. We've been gone so long. <laughs> so, so we we're not gonna bring it up. You don't bring it up. How about that, Wallace? Okay. <laughs> You don't bring it up. We won't bring it up. Okay, you all. You know, you all. A whole lot has happened. First of all, I want to say that I am still very proud of the Cowboys season. I think the Cowboys had a great season. Um, it was wonderful. We got to see our team win 12, 12 games. If your team did not win at least twelve games, you'll have none, none, none to say to us about our Cowboys. None. Okay, let me say nothing. Okay. All right. To say about about the Cowboys. All right. So, um, okay. So we good. We all are straight on this. Okay. You know what? You put in Steelers Nation. Y'all got in by a prayer and a hope, and then and then. Okay. But y'all listen. All right. I know that you all. Wait, are wait, wait. If anybody knows Burns, if you really know Burns, you know how much she loves Cowboys. Wait a minute. You can't even call her during the pre-show. No, don't call me. Don't call me. You had all day to call me. You could see me at church. Talk to me at church. Wait. Uh, don't I call me. Wait. I, I get, wait a minute. You, you, you can't. Why you even call me? Can't call her. You can't even uh -uh. text her. Uh -uh. Six days do you have to, to to do all of thy work and thy labor. On the seventh day we rest. All right. Uh, Rest and watch um, the Cowboys. Hollering. <laughs> well, I mean, it doesn't stop there. It's also a Georgia Bull Bulldog. Uh, uh, wait, can we say it? national oh, champions? Oh, no, no, national no, champ. Oh, let me see. Can y'all just y'all just imagine me in red? Blue is bad on me. We all know that. <laughs> You know. Okay, listen, 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 y'all. You, I know. Thank you, Natalie Davis. It is rude and disrespectful to call when a game. Yes, don't unrespect us by calling us during a game. That is just unrespectful. Please do not encourage this behavior. Please, please do not encourage this behavior. Hey, my sister, how you doing? I'm you. Put in there. How about them boys? Just, just put it in there. How, how about them boys, the cowboy fan? Listen, listen. I know you all are anointed, anointed preachers. You know, y'all walk in the anointed. Y'all walk in profession gifts. And so, I've never thought to do this before. All right, and I still wouldn't have thought of it. Somebody sent it to me Sunday night. 
I want to talk for a moment, and I'm grateful that he sent an apology. I really am. I'm glad that he owned it. Right? But I want to talk about um, <laughs> doing an example of Jesus with no miracle following it. Okay, I just, I just, I want to talk about this, and in this pan, in this, in this pandemic, that that you can, you can hawk that one the spirit. You can hawk, you know, up some, and then now you're using, and you not then take your spit, all right, and rub it on somebody's eyes that can see, all right. They can see, all right. They're not blind, but they can see, right. Talking about then then use I, let's let's talk let's talk about how far should we really go with these examples? Do we have to? Do we really I, have to? Because, um, as as my youngest daughter used to say when she was little, that's disgusting. That is disgusting. <laughs> I just did y'all see? Did you see the 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 the, the spit come come no, down? I didn't see none of that. Thank I, I don't God. want the visual. I should have, I, I should have the video I loaded. God, I didn't see it. Don't want to see it. Okay. No. But 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 perform them. But has the church have we gone too far with that? I mean, and 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 and, and, and granted, let me say again that in the scriptural examples that the person was blind, they could not see or they could not hear. I believe it absolutely yeah, put it in, right. But 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 this man could both hear and see when when the when mud with the spittle. Okay, well, one example, right, right, yeah. But there's other, but even with that, I is it don't put have that we gone too far? Don't come okay, so close to me with let's, your stuff I went through COVID. I went through and looked on uh, Nas and T exactly. Nasty, <laughs> okay. Nas and T. I um I looked at some of the comments just to see if there was something that was that could help help me understand what was going on. And I just could not find anything. And um, all I could see was performance, performance, mm -hmm. and he is known for, for his performances. Um, raining in the sanctuary, um, dipping in water. It's it's just, yeah. I I don't have a whole lot to say about it because I, I yes, I think it's too far. He not only did he apologize, his um, godfather um, Carlton Pearson um, apologized for him and vouched for him, if you will. Um, I just want to get past it. Um, the brother was um, a good dude because um, there is no way you're going to spit in your hawk in your hand and put it on my face where the the saliva, the thick saliva is still sitting on my face. No, sir. Mm -hmm. No, ma'am. Mm -hmm. I am that sound like that sound like not, um, virus to me. Mm. I mean, in, yeah. in this season of um, Omicron and mm -hmm. all the mutations that are occurring, and and this is what we do. Yeah, and, but oh, I, but, but, the kid said it was his second time doing it. What do you mean? It's, but I have this question: at, at what point is it in in quote biblical illustration or sermonic illustration? At what point is it too far? What <laughs> you know when we talk about the things of the church, right? That at, at what at what point do we as both pastors and as lay people say this not is not on me? I'm not participating. That's what we do. 
You got to have a voice. I am not participating in that craziness. Um, now my understanding is that the gentleman is his brother. Yeah, so. he's re they're related. So mm -hmm. you, mm -mm. even at when that, you, I don't care. You don't have the same. Oh, well, my grandbabies <laughs> okay. on me. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. So let me let me. Wallace, let me go there since you went there. You know how your parents used to, they see something on your face and uh, I don't even want that. It was like, can you not do that? That's just, no, that, that's one of the worst type. Uh, my youngest daughter would say, that, no, that's disgusting. No. <laughs> well, everyone who knows me knows that I'm a germaphobe. And, yeah. um, oh God. Yeah. yeah. It, there would have been some issues. You don't have to be a germaphobe to know that that is that is crazy. I mean, and again, there, there's spit, and then there's there's mucus, there's stuff that come up. I, you know that that looked like there was some undigested food or something in that. It was just it was something. All right, so yeah, the so, cowboys did lose. Um, but I'm so. So I am proud of them as well. Um, I still believe they should have won the game. Yeah, unsanitary yeah, for they sure. Should I just jumped on them boys early okay. on, early on. Yeah, that's good, Shazetta. Um, the large question is, uh, what culture um, um, has? Yeah, was present at the church where we didn't think that that would be acceptable. That's a good question. Yeah. So, um, Dr. Wallace, I know we have this phenomenal guest. We're talking about culture. We're talking about church. Um, but this phenomenal guest had his backstage. And she's uh, you a performer, so she can she can clear mm -hmm. this up for us. And, and I do want to say on behalf of our other co-host, Dr. Wright, um, I don't know if she'll be joining us today. Everything up until about the last hour she was. Um, but she's a hospice chaplain and one of her patients um, is transitioning at this moment. And so... You all just lift her strength up in the Lord mm. with this. Okay, Dr. Wallace. Yes, yes, we have none other than the Reverend Cheryl A. Kirk Dugan, PhD, and she is a retired professor of religion and director of women's studies at Shaw University's Divinity School in Raleigh, North Carolina, where she served from 2004 to 2021. She is an ordained elder in the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church, I almost said CME, a consultant, scholar, preacher, author, performer, and the founder and CEO of Dr. Cheryl Enterprises. Mm -hmm. She helps people embrace their organic, authentic, sacred selves through love by helping them create a language to identify and make peace with loss, grief, and trauma in their lives. She helps people find joy and creativity through their writing. Dr. Kirk Dugan holds numerous degrees, one from <laughs> so many, University <laughs> of Southwestern Louisiana, University of Texas in Austin, her MDiv from Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary, and the Doctor of Philosophy in Religion and Special Emphasis in Theology and Ethics from Baylor. She is the author and editor of a plethora of books and articles. I want to note over 25 books and I don't know how many articles. 
She enjoys inspiring people to go from idea to completed document, finding their voice and doing so with joy, creativity, and efficiency. I provided a paper to Dr. Cheryl Kirk Dugan when she co-edited Mother, Mother Jones, Mommy Dearest, Mothers and Their Children in the Bible as a writing project for the Society for Biblical Literature. Please, everyone, welcome to the show. My dear sister, Dr. Cheryl, Reverend Dr. Cheryl Kirk Dugan. Please hit those hearts for this prolific female preacher and phenomenal woman of God. Hello, hello. Good afternoon, good evening, holy blessings to all my anointed sisters <clears throat> in the house and all those across the U.S. and global world. Because you right. are awesome and amazing. <laughs> and so are you. Tell us, tell us, tell us. We ask this question first every show, especially during these COVID times. How are you doing these on these COVID streets? How you doing? I be fabulous, fine, and free. All right. Hey, again. Say that again. again. Fabulous. Fine. Fine. And free. All right, now. I love it. My brain works with alliteration, so it had to be whatever the words were. They all begin with the same consonant. And I'm at a place where I truly believe that there are two energies and only two. One is love, and as my friend Naina G. Uh, defines it, love is freedom, appreciation, compassionate communication, trust, and sincerity. And when we're living it from that point, as opposed to fear, which is a call for love, where ego is exploding on steroids, which is where a lot of the folks are, then you're in jail outside when you're hooked into your ego. When you come from love, you have peace, you know the Holy Spirit is inside you, and you be who God called you to be because God has, has a call on all of our lives specific yes. to our particular gifts and graces. And when we come from that point, the sky is the limit. The sky is the limit. Yeah. The sky is the limit. That's right. Oh, and one other thing toward that end, it's important that we realize that we have the four levels of our body, mm. the mental, the emotional, the spiritual and the physical. And we need to be tending to all of those, realizing that the mental, the mind, that's where things start because the mind is the first level of creation. So mm -hmm. if, I if I wake up saying, oh, I'm gonna have a bad hair day, that's a thought. Mm -hmm. If I don't say cancer, clear to say, wait a minute, no, I'm blessed to God. I woke up, you know, mm -hmm. I could brush my own teeth and didn't have to wear the pins. So if I did wear the pins, I got the money to pay for them. Hey, I'm blessed. Let me step on out in faith. If I so if I come from the negative, I'm going to create more negative. And at the end of the day, I'm going to be wore out and mad with people for no reason. But mm. I made it up myself because mm. we give everything all the meaning it has to us. Mm -hmm. When we realize that, then that, that in and of itself is free. My Lord, my Lord. So this freedom That's we powerful. have. That's powerful. That's powerful. Yeah. The words that we speak. I love it. I'm Dr. Mm -hmm. Kirk Dugan. Um, when we speak affirmations to ourselves, it brings light to others. Absolutely. 
I like that. Yes. I heard Les Brown say that there was a, uh, he said, when we begin to speak, he said there are foremans on the left and on the right, the foremans for the negative and foremans for the positive. And when we begin to speak and we say, uh, it's like uh, one of those sayings the kids always say, oh, I am so weak. He said, the body stops and the foreman says, hey, did y'all hear us say she weak? Well, okay. He said, and then your body begins to react to that. And so there is power in our words, and we have yep. to be very careful about what we say and how we say it. Highly favored, doubly anointed, and blessed by God. All right. Absolutely. And toward that end, we should be extremely careful when we follow the words I am with anything. Therefore, if I'm speaking or a personal apology, I don't say I am and S-O-R-R-Y. Because mm -hmm. the brain here is that my character is sorry. My person is sorry. I'm a sorry person. So we've got to be incredibly clear mm -hmm. about what we say after I am. My Lord. My Lord. Ooh. Ooh we. So let me ask this question then. What is your suggestion if someone is apologizing? How is it? What is it that they would say? There are a couple of different options and great question. Excuse me for stepping out of my boundaries. Like if I got in your cheese and I was saying, Dr. Burns, you should not have, and when I, that was inappropriate. Excuse me for being inappropriate. Or my regards, uh, accept my apologies, and be clear about what we're talking about and why we're apologizing. Is it this? Is it? Did I do my job? If I did my job, then. Is there a need to apologize? So we always need to be questioning if I did overstep my boundaries or make a mistake. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to let you know I miscalculated. I will do better next time. I regret any responsibilities on that end. But again, we want to be very careful about saying I am because the brain doesn't do ambiguity and contradiction. So, for example, if you say I can't find my keys. The brain hears that. So even if I'm standing in front of the cabinet where my keys are, my brain won't see it. That's why I learned. I don't say I can't find anything. I said, thank you, universe, for showing me where whatever is something like that. Because I had nothing a is lost in Christ. That's my thing. Nothing is lost in Christ. So I can find du everything. Look, duly noted. Every put in the chat. Duly noted. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes. So, Dr. Uh, Cheryl, you are here to talk about from fear to finish and writing and writing papers and dissertations and documents or even just a poem. So talk to us about um, what it really means to be free to write. Thank you. And again, thank you all for having me here today. I learned this whole process over a series of almost three decades of working with people and with writing. One of my first instances of being aware of that, how challenging it was when I was at the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California, one of my students and mentees came in, sort of flopped on the love seat. He was about 6'4", looking terrible. I said, Kevin, what's the matter? He said, I can't finish my dissertation. And one of my go-to things is always be mindful that the Holy Spirit is inside me. So always discerning, always doing active listening and to see what is a person need and where they're coming from. And so my first question to him is, well, what is your metaphor for writing? And he was working on uh, 
iconography that's especially in Greek Orthodox religions and Russian Orthodox, where they have a gold painting around the icon. So that was the, the concept that he was working on. So he said, oh, I don't know, I guess St. George and the dragon. I said, well, Kevin, no wonder you're having trouble. I said, that's pain, fire, arrows. Then I switched, what is it that you enjoy doing with and for people that you know that you're good at and you don't need anyone to tell you that? So he paused for a moment. He said, I like to bake bread. Then all of a sudden he sat up, he said, no, I like to make soup. Color, coloring came back in his skin. He was animated. He started talking about, he makes a decision what type of soup and then gets, I said, okay, well, that's your thesis statement because you can't write about everything in one space. Then he started talking about shopping and purchasing, washing the vegetables, making the broth. I said, okay, that's your, create your abstract, that's your research and analysis. Once it's all in the pot, it's simmering. I said, that's your editing process. You wait a day or so before you serve it, you go back and review it again, and then you serve it. I said, you completed your dissertation. Hmm. Kevin completed his dissertation. Hmm. So what hmm. I realized is that Part of why people have challenges in writing is that they unfortunately had a teacher or someone who told them they didn't know how to write, which is a ridiculous response. That, that, that's not helpful. If a person is challenged with writing, does that mean it's a grammar issue, punctuation? Are they writing the wrong form? Are they writing for an article, but it needs to be a poem? Or are they writing for an academic audience, but it needs to be for a lay audience? So all of those need to come into play. Are they misusing pronouns and verbs? And now we have so many programs like Grammarly that can help us do the work. So, and it always goes back to that's an error. So we have to figure out, number one, people need to know that everybody can write and everyone has something to say. Doesn't mean that Toni Morrison and Alice Walker uh, and Ernest Hemingway doesn't mean that, but it means they have a voice. And it's interesting because many times when people are challenged in their writing, sometimes they start to become challenged in their speaking. And I know all of us have heard people where literally they are disembodied. The voice is coming from them, but it doesn't sound like they're grounded in their body. That's because they've had a bad experience or some trauma around mm -hmm. their writing. So one of the first things we do is get people to say, okay, what's your metaphor for writing? What is something that you're good at that you enjoy? And use that because then that's your organic self. That's the gifting that God has given you and you are expressing in that in whichever mode, whether it's a blog or a poem, an article, a book, a dissertation. Mm -hmm. And of course, then you get the skills. You need to know a correct grammar. You need to understand that reading is very rhythmic. So never have three sentences in a row the same length. You need to vary that. So there are a lot of nuances. Those can all be learned. The biggest piece is for people to give themselves permission to write. Give yourself permission to write. Yes. So we need to have some authors out there. We give you a permission slip today. Yes. You have permission to write. So um, talk to us, Doc, about uh, how do people begin to write? What, what, what is the process for beginning? The first process, of course, is like you said, know that you, you have a voice mm -hmm. and be clear about that. Even if you own the only person who, need, who you think, well, I ever want to read it is your granny or your nana or whoever. So that's the first thing. Second thing is after meditation, prayer, what do you have to say? 
What is that burning thing? Uh, the late Dr. Katie Geneva Cannon said, do the work your soul must have. And I tweaked that for writing. Write what you need to write. For some people, that may be a journal article. For some, it may be a blog. Some may be poets. Some may, it may be sermons. Some, it may be a book. But ask yourself, and if, if I've given myself permission to write and have that metaphor for writing and trust that I have a God-given voice that can express if you if we've been living for five years, we got something to say. And so anyone above that, and actually at three years old, if you can pick up a pencil or if you can have it your your Mima's cell phone and you can dictate that, you can that's a, a process of writing. Mama. And so you first, so it's a series of creative decisions that you make. And then when to grow in that, then go and read, go and look at how other people do blogs, just to get an idea of what's various styles are out there. Read novels if that's what you want to do. Read short stories because we have to figure out the language. It's just like classic case. If you're talking about barbecue in North Carolina, and it took me a long time to understand that that's what they call barbecue, even though I'm vegan, it has a mustard base and they call it pull. So they pull things. So it's like straggly type of protein. If you're in Texas, barbecue equals brisket. If you're in Louisiana where I grew up, barbecue is any kind of meat that's on a grill and you put sauce on it. So again, I have to know who I'm talking to to know what the language will mean. Or just another example, a house. You preach in the sermon and say, well, a person lives in a house. For some people, that's a project. For some people, that's a double wide um, trailer. You know, trailer, exactly. Double wide trailer. For some people, it's a condo. Some it could be an apartment if it's in New York. Or big cities like that, the apartment door, when you're going outside, you're going into a hallway. If you're in other parts of the country, when you go outside, you're outside. But if you're in assisted living, oftentimes you have one door that goes to a hallway exit, another exit outside. So again, it's to learn the language of the craft that you want to do it. And once you write, then you write and you write and you write. I'm a better writer now because I've taught so for so many years because I had to read so many papers and you start to identify things that don't work. So getting familiar with the area of writing which you want to engage is another thing to do. Well, um, Dr. Kurt Dugan, what you're saying is is just is powerful. Um, I um, and saying giving people or giving yourself permission to write, especially for people of color. Um, and even more especially for those of us that are women, um, because if there's one thing that, that, it, that we seem to consistently hear, um, it is that our voice um, is not as important or our voice doesn't matter, even as much as we're dealing with you know, people who are screaming that they have individual right to not take a vaccine, but yet at the same time, you take away a woman's individual right to choose what grows in her body or does not grow in her body. And so, um, Ken, um, I, I know you, 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 um, your years of teaching and others, what, what have you noticed? I guess I want to kind of ask about when it comes to, have you found that women, if, if you're teaching both men and women to write or you're, you're mentoring someone, do you, have you found that men are more free to do this than women or women find um, um, a, perhaps a, a way of escape? Do they, do, have you seen that they're empowered by this and, and giving themselves permission to write? That's a great question. 
I always started my classes off with several premises to counteract that. And I told people that when we together, we are creating a living learning laboratory of scholars as we're children of God, mm. that everyone has a voice, that there's no stupid question. And because we are all teacher learners, whether the professor or student, then if the professor hasn't learned 30% more about human nature and the course content, then the professor and the students have not done their job. And if they, the students haven't learned, because I want them to know the content and it's equally as important for me that they become analytical, critical thinkers about mm -hmm. everything. So you say you believe this, why do you believe that? Mm -hmm. Who told you that? Where did you read that? What are the problems with that? So it's a, so it's a matter of building people up. One of the causes though that women continue to be suppressed is white supremacist, patriarchal, capitalistic misogyny. And mm. so we have to recognize that this didn't just start with the George Floyd or the 1960s civil rights movement. Uh, in Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas's book, Stand Your Ground, she very clearly articulates that Anglo-Saxon superiority was posited in the year 98. We're talking 60 years after Jesus did an earthly ministry, 60 years. So this thing has been around for a long time, especially in terms of Western civilization. And so he posited in the year 98, uh, Anglo-Saxon superiority. So that morphed all the way through Europe. And then when the Puritans and pilgrims came, they also brought that nonsense with them. They thought that, oh, this is a new Israel. So they coupled Anglo-Saxon superiority with manifest destiny. God is calling us to take over this nation, to take over this land. So, hey, if we kill a couple of hundred thousand people, that's okay. We're on a mission for God. This is a new Israel. That along with uh, American exceptionalism, we are the best and we are the brightest. So all of that becomes, it's systemic and it all equals follow the Benjamins. The whole purpose of enslavement was greed. We want cheap labor. Therefore, and they tried it before with indentured uh, servants who are white. And we need to always remember that initially the Americas was a colony for Britain because they, that sometimes they didn't have places for criminals. So they'd send them here. And folk who know sugar uh, plantations, tobacco, cotton, all of that, they needed cheap labor. They tried some white folks, they tried Native Americans, didn't work. And then there was also a papal bull or a letter by the Pope in the 1440s saying enslavement was permitted in Portugal. So you have several systems all working together. And in the book by uh, Dr. the late Dr. Robert E. Hood, Begrimed in black, he shows. Okay, hold, oh, hold a second! Don't don't lose that thought. I don't want the people to miss that papal authority, the Pope. The Pope said slavery right. mm -hmm. was fine. That a religious institution, right, said that. Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. Just didn't want people to miss that. Keep going. Keep going. You're absolutely. And 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 let me jump back on one thing because you mentioned about the women in the 330s, uh, common era. Constantine said that Christianity would be the religion of the state. So you're talking about a Greco-Roman era where if you were a citizen, you were at the top, which you had to be had a man and certain other criteria. Then came women and children. Then came other men, women, children, and the enslaved. 
So if you look at Romans 16, Paul is thanking a series of women for having house churches. They didn't have cathedrals and buildings. People had church in their homes. Paul thanks them for that. If you go back to the Gospels, if you look at all the post-resurrection, the after-resurrection accounts, Mary of Magdala was the one in each instance who was told one time by Jesus, another time by two angels, by one young man, euangelion, which is a Greek word, go preach. So if it had not been Mary Magdalene, since the boys had booked, they were scurred. They left because they didn't want to be crucified. And so it boggles my imagination that women still buy into, oh, you can't pass, you, gonna, you can't preach. So you telling me genitalia disqualifies you to be able to lead a congregation when the first theology that you learn is your prayers and it's most instances, that maybe some dad is doing it, but in most instances it's mama, grandma, somebody is teaching you, now I laid me down to sleep. Mm -hmm. So it just makes, it makes no sense. And so, but because of systemic oppression, we buy into that. And unfortunately, women then despise other women. And I'll get back to that point, but also back to Robert Hood said there were three things that he ooh, saw ooh, ooh. that has really helped to gel the notion that black bodies are inferior. One was the bubonic plague. When the plague hit in the 13th, 14th century, it killed a whole bunch of people and people's bodies turned black. Then you also had with the rise of Islam and the rise of enslavement. So all of those came together because we're going to blame somebody on black bodies and therefore we can kidnap you. And then there were black folks in Africa who sold some of their folks to be enslaved. Those that were not kidnapped were sold by other black folk to come here. And so once you get here, then What's the first thing they do? Divide and conquer. And when we read history, that is the oldest technique in the book. That's the same thing that happened with the recent elections and with the Trump presidency. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just Trump. Trump is being Trump. He's doing. I'm, I'm sorry. We, we don't. We don't. We don't say his name. We don't say his name. We identify okay. him by a number. Okay. All right. Well, the former president, he did what he always do. It was the Republican Party. They had 17 other candidates that they could have chose from. And if they had gotten in their caucus groups and said, just like what happened when people be running for bishop and other offices, you get in your caucus groups and you say, okay, we're going to be behind this candidate, then somebody else would have been president. So we have to remember we have this explosion of suppression. And unfortunately, women often buy into that. So if Dr. Burns wants to become leader, and if I haven't gotten myself together, I'm mm, who she thinks she is. I'm not voting for her because I'm broken and hurt because when it was my time, I didn't win or because when I wanted to be ordained, the church wasn't yet ordaining women. So now that we have other young women want to be ordained, I'm not going to vote for her. Well, why not? You help pave the way. But again, when you have brokenness, again, it's fear. Fear, whether it's Ooh. envy or anger or anxiety or hate. Is still fear. It's a call for love. Slow down because you <laughs> you sped through that thing. No, no, ma'am. You got to say it again. Say that again. Ooh, broken and hurt will not seek to be healed. Lord, help us. That's it. That's it. And unfortunately, a lot of times people don't know they're broken. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they grow up in a household. I grew up in a household was God was the head of the house. 
my parents were partners. I didn't know anything different. I realized that after I was in seminary, Dr. Burns, because they wanted to form a women's group. I said, well, why do we need to form a women's group? Because all my education, I'm always hanging out with the fellas. And that's when I learned, oh, I wasn't the son my dad wanted. It's like, wow. That's when I started to look and see and look at all the domestic violence and see where there are parts in scripture that support that. There's no scripture that says enslavement is wrong. Although biblical enslavement and what happened to the Americas is totally different. And this whole notion about a woman shouldn't speak in church. Well, you got to know the context. Back in the day when people did worship, you had to be able to read. They were reading from the Psalms. That was worship. Women were not taught to read. And in many instances, men were on one side seated together and the women were seated separately. You give me any two group of people with one group of people that have to sit there and listen and not participate. And the other group, well, they're going to start gossiping. They're going to start entertaining themselves. That's why the scripture says women should not speak in church. They ain't got nothing to do with pastoring or preaching. It was to contain the noise. That's why folks need to read and know history and read commentaries and then go to the original language. One more thing and I'll shut up for a hot minute to your next question. You got me rocking here. I just all I'm missing is my fan right now. Go ahead. <laughs> I never figured out why it would bother me for every women's day or mother's day, people act like Proverbs 31 was the only, the only scripture. Come on. So what I did, you know, when you're a scholar, you teach and you do research. And Dr. Tina Pippen, who a good buddy of mine, she teaches at Agnes Scott College. We were co-editors for Samea, a religious, um, a journal for biblical studies, experimental. So we decided so many books existed on fathers and their children. But as far as we could see, no one had written a book or journal articles on mothers and their children. So we decided to do that one. And that was the, the journal that uh, Dr. Wallace referred to earlier. So I said, well, what do I wanna do? Because in terms of writing, and I encourage people always, write what you're passionate about. No one wants to be bored reading your stuff. And if we're not excited about reading it, then our mm -hmm. audience will not be excited. Exactly. So I got to thinking, I said, ah, oh, Proverbs 31. And so I got my Hebrew out and was reading through it. And the first discovery was the first 10 verses deals with the king who is the son. The dad is not the king. And at some point I need to look up that and see how come the dad wasn't the king and the son was since dad was still alive. Then verses 11 through 31 deals with the queen mother. All right. And I'm reading, I'm reading. I want to wait one minute. I'm checking my Hebrew, doing my analysis, doing my exegesis. And come to find out several things. Number one, this is a horrible example for any woman. Why? Because it's about I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Somebody, 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 somebody's um, um, speaker muted. Say, say it slowly. It, it is a what kind of example? Did you say horrible? It's can, a can you just... horrible. Okay. It's a terrible. <laughs> it's a pathological. <laughs> Example. She said three syllables, three syllables. Right. <laughs> and they all end with bold. Yes, yes. And why do I say that? It's all about industry is what she is doing 
for people. There is no intimacy. Nobody cares about her. That is not a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. Have Dr. Wallace talk to you, Dr. Shaniqua Walker-Barnes, who's written a book that I commend to everyone, Too Heavy oh, a Yoke, which is about- Too Heavy a Yoke, yes. Too Heavy a Yoke, about oh, yeah. the strong Black woman and how- oh, And the voices of my people. That's it. That's it. So, so get those books and read them and start to understand and take some classes with her. Because uh, it, it's just incredible. And if I'm always doing, 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 doing for you, it's also dysfunctional. That was four syllables. Oh, because oh. There's, 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 no, there's no reciprocity. Yeah. Is, is that dysfunctional with an I or a Y? Why? <laughs> Stop meddling, Burns. <laughs> this, you can make it an I. <laughs> Same difference. And so, and then further, when I looked at it, so that was one discovery. The second discovery is I got toward the end of the text. I'm going, wait a minute. Just as in Romance languages, nouns often have an article that describes it. In Hebrew, it's the same thing. And so I double checked it and I checked with some of my scholars who do Hebrew all the time. I'm saying, am I interpreting this right? Am I right on this? They say, yeah, Doc, you're right. The descriptors for the words that were described in this woman are descriptors or adjectives that are normally used to describe a god or a man. Therefore, to me, I've had some other people dis- disagree, and hey, that's fine. But as I read it, as I understand how suppression, and also that poets tend to be ironic. Mm. And you don't get this in the English because we don't use articles like that. When the poet is saying, who can find a virtuous woman? The answer is no one because she doesn't exist because those descriptors are for a God or a man, somebody. I went, ah, I got it. I knew it. I knew that was an issue. This is two consecutive programs about that virtuous, so-called virtuous woman. I am thankful. We don't need to Wallace. Somebody's music. asking about who who the author is, and it's um Shaniqua Walker Burns Barnes rather B A R N S B A R N S right yeah too heavy a yoke and the voices of voices my of my people yes right. and she's now at uh, Columbia Theological Seminary yes she is yeah that that prayer she did they threw her out of uh I believe threw mm-hmm. her out of McAfee but we won't talk about that. We have to get you to get her on our show for us. Be happy to. Yeah, people have trouble with the truth. Yes. Especially when it's naming and calling out the abuse of power. If I had my So, so, so Dr. Kirk, do you say that, that people have um, have issue with calling out abuse, but what but what do you say in regard to the black church that speaks against abuse to the black male, but yet itself um, abuses the black woman? Or do we consider it abuse? Again, many black churches, not all, but many, again, learned to do church based upon what our counterparts of the more vanilla hue have done. (laughs) And they learned those things that worked 
but they also learned those things that did not work. So for example, in during the colonial era, you had this whole purity notion and purity code where white women were lifted up on a pedestal. But when I put you on a pedestal, I'm not engaged in a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm lifting you up, but you serve a function. And so her job was to have them babies and keep the household going. But when he, the master also wanted to have, have his more sensual expressions and needs met, he would go to the slave quarters. And sometimes though, sometimes to keep people's feet warm, and we remember what that what that meant in, in the Hebrew scripture. Yes. And sometimes uh enslaved women had to sleep at the foot of the beds of the master. And so we learned a lot of that. Our churches learned a lot of that. That whole bifurcation of boys will be boys. Once in class, I asked my students, I said, it was a class in gender, women and culture at Shaw University Divinity School. I said, so help me out here. So you want your daughter to be a virgin when she gets married? Yeah, dog. Uh, so you okay with your son sleeping around as long as he wears a raincoat or a condom so you don't get in grandchildren? Mm -hmm. I say, so if it's a heterosexual relationship, your son is sleeping with somebody's daughter. Eyes got biggest sauces. They never had thought about that reality. So a lot of times our folks don't think. We are and still inherited a lot of generational and intergenerational trauma from the era of enslavement, plus our whole society is bifurcated. If you're white, you're right. If you're male, you're right, except you can a male in a black body. We have all these um, myths like black women are Jezebels or they're hoes or they're sapphires or they're mammoths, they're asexual. There's so much lying out there. There's not enough healthy theologies and spiritualities of sexuality. How many times have you ever heard anybody preach from a song a song? Very few churches talk about sex and what it means. They don't look at God said, I pronounce human beings good. And then people act like their vagina and their penises are out there someplace on Mars. It's like <laughs> we have an entire body and we don't need to have shame about it. And sometimes parents, would try to get put fear in children and say, well, sex, you can't do that. Well, children here, sex is bad and nasty and wrong. Well, by the time when they get to preschool, they know where they came from. So, and children often take things literally. So if you say sex is bad, nasty, and wrong, but the process that got me here, then that it, that happened, then that means I'm bad and nasty and wrong. And so the first time um they touch themselves, they masturbate like. What's so bad about that? And so you give give kids their mixed messages or give them euphemisms for their body parts. We don't say we don't we don't say uh fru fru or something for a refrigerator. We say refrigerator, five syllables, penis, two syllables, vagina, three syllables. But we give them all these euphemisms. I had a student once recently to tell me she thought her vagina was a, called a pocketbook until she was 10 years old. Yep. I managed to keep my composure. I went, why? So if I had my druthers, number one, all children would have some sort of conflict resolution, learn how to- So, 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 quick, so quick question in regard to later, we know you, we're up on your time. And then I guess that's one of the questions. So if she thought her vagina was a pocketbook, then what did she carry on her arm? Now that's a good question. I did not dare ask because I had to keep my composure. Not but mad. she had to keep that pocketbook closed so didn't go, nothing went in and nothing came out. 
There you That's go. Right. Thank you for that. Yeah. No, 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 I understand that part. But they but call, if that is put on a shoulder burns, they call it a purse, not a pocketbook. In South Georgia, we 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 call we what we call what it was on our own pocketbook as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh -huh. One of our guests has a question um, for you. Do you see that, Dr. Bradford? Yeah, I see it. Uh, do you see any reciprocity in the Proverbs 31 woman's family speaking well of her, rising up, calling her blessed? Well, I can say a lot of things, but how do I treat you? Ooh. Would be my big question. There is some, but there's so much more that she's doing. You know, and so, yeah, I'll, I'll give that some credence, but I want to know how do you treat her and how come you not doing the laundry and doing some of the cooking and help do your part? So I want to challenge all those, the what we call so-called gender norms and, and how people treat each other. Because there are some women who can't cook worth a stitch. There are men that are great cooks. If you put your number 10, 11s up under the table, then you need to be able to cook. You need to be able to make a bed, sew a button, and sew a hem. I don't care what your gender is because God doesn't call everybody to be married. And if you want a housekeeper, then hire one. Because I see too many women broken. There are too many women who have been so traumatized. I'm not saying that everyone, but a lot of these cancers that women are experiencing, it's from the stress that has created too much um, inflammation in their bodies and it's exacerbated. So if they had the gene for it, it gets exacerbated. Mm -hmm. So I want, and also I want women to stop engaging in the crab syndrome. Mm -hmm. If I want to learn what Dr. Wallace has done, then I can help. Sis, can you help me? I'd like to do Absolutely. some of the things you do. Get some of the education. But I don't go down and talk about, hmm, she thinks she all that. First of all, that's not my business. The old people of my youth would say, you got 24 hours to take care of number one. So if I'm taking care of number one, doing my work, doing my studies, getting appropriate sleep, hydration, movement, and all that, I don't have time to talk bad about anybody. And that's fear. That's envy. That's also a lot of insecurity. And to your question, Dr. Burns, a lot of what causes the, the separation in, in churches is a lot of insecurity. You have people who are in leadership and are so insecure of being found out, so they treat people poorly. And a lot of the women are... They've learned how to do what I call the pillow talk. So especially in those communions that do not ordain women. So the missus will tell the mister, oh, the we need a van for church. And then he'll go to the business session, either a steward or a deacon or whatever. Well, we need a van. Okay, we're going to get a van. If she said they needed a van and open meeting, no one would have paid attention. I've been in professional meetings once where I said something and about 10 minutes later, a man said the same thing. And all of a sudden, it was a great idea. And I'm looking. I just I just say that. Happens so all the time. And when you call them out that anger because of power, they want to then demonize you because you spoke up. That's so. Yeah, the, I think the words, the word is, um, the phrase is angry black woman. Yes. That's what you're called. That's yeah. right. Yes, yes. And but and emotions are not good or bad, but what do that. I do with them? Mm -hmm. You, you got to know who you are. That's yeah. right. And, and what so we need to do is tell women. so much, Doc. Gosh, you have just, you got to come back. 
That'll be great. We, we, we ain't even talk about from fear to finish. We ain't talk about nothing about writing. But one, we just started out with with got to have a metaphor. We got <laughs> you got to come back. Well, I'm, I'm gonna stay another five minutes. Let me just hang in just a little bit with the writing because it, it's so important. Again, have a metaphor, and then I invite people, whether professional or not, to have a, a community of accountability. And that's for anything. Have people who can read with you and can tell you the truth about your writing or who you're partner with that say, we're going to write poems and, you know, check in every six weeks or so. You can do Zoom and then share your screen and read together. So, for example, if Wallace and Burns want to work on a book together, then you write your parts and then you can, can compare it and you can do a Zoom where you share the screen and you can write together. You can read it out loud and go, oh, that's a good idea. Well, let's add this in. It doesn't have to be difficult. It can be an adventure. And that's why I have all the acronyms at the very front, because it's to get the right attitude. If we have the right, you can, we can be brilliant, but if I don't have the right attitude, knowing that I can do something I can write, it, it's just like taking the horse to water. You can put the horse in the water, you can't make them drink. And then it's about after you figure out what you want to talk about, there's several processes, which I'll do the cliff note version. And so I need people to get the book. Let's see if you can yeah. see it. Breaking free, right. Um, get on Amazon. And it takes you step by step of how to go through the process of the ideas. You free associate. So and then you create questions from the things that emerge in the free association. And then you look at what question do I really want to spend time with? What do I get excited about? What am I passionate about? You take that question, you turn it into a thesis statement. This essay or this book analyzes the impact of white supremacist patriarchal capitalistic misogyny on the black church and women's leadership. So if I'm passionate about that, then you create the abstract. And the abstract basically is a paragraph that starts off with a hook. That's two, a, a couple of sentences to capture your reader's attention. The third sentence would be the thesis statement, what you're doing. Now, in math and in science, a thesis statement is a conclusion. E equals MC squared. In the humanities, religious studies, spirituality, we don't make a, a thesis a conclusion. It's more of we will and in, we investigate this paper, investigates or analyzes or critiques. We don't know what we're going to find. So, again, it's important to know what are the criteria of the discipline in which you write what are the criteria for writing for academic audience, for writing a lay audience? What's the difference between writing an academic and writing a trade book? Trade books are more popular books. Many times professors will use them in college, but a lay person can read it. So it's important to make those decisions. And then the other thing that's really, really important, once you have your abstract, which basically tells you what you're going to explore, the lens you're going to use. So I'm going to take a psychological approach an ethical approach, a spirituality approach, a legal approach, and then the rest of that abstract are the steps you need to take. So if I'm talking about the statement I just made, I'm going to have to de define my terms. I'm going to, have to tell you what lens I'm using. Then if I'm talking about, for say, the women in Texas, I have to say what part of Texas, because you have to make it manageable. If it's a 12-page article, I can't talk about the whole state of Texas. I may need to take one county or one church. So again, focusing on things that are manageable based upon what type of writing you're doing. Then after I have my abstract, which the, the methodology becomes my outline, then I go and look and research and see what articles and books are available for me to reference. All before, which is one thing that makes 
this method different from a lot of the ways other people teach writing. You don't go to the library first. You have lived experience. You use your organic experience, and then you go and get authors to back up what you're saying. Or you may say, you know what? I don't agree with this one. This part of that theory is right, but this is not, or I disagree because. So you get your books and you get your articles and you always check not only the titles, but you check the preface, the table of contents, and the index. Because a great title does not mean that that book or resource is going to help you for your project. But now once you have all of that, then you create a table. And it has four columns. You will have a concept, so whatever the concept I'm talking about, the next column is a full citation, author, title, publishing information. The next column going across left to right is the page numbers. And the fourth column would be your uh, paraphrase slash your writing. And what you do, so you don't under, and this is where a lot of people waste time. You don't highlight or underline or do post notes and come back. No, you take the article or the book why, that I'm reading. I'm reading. I've read the first couple, three pages and it tells me, okay, white supremacy is, I type that up. And I go all the way through that book. Let's say this book has, I need to read chapters one, chapters three, and chapter six. Chapter one for some definitions. Chapter three, I need to look at a case study. Chapter six, I need to look at some challenges. And so each in my um, table, when you hit the enter button, it would take me to the next row. And so I'd go to chapter three and put about the challenges. And number three, whatever the next one is. So you do all of that systematically through the book. You finish the book, put it to the side, no going back. You do the next article, the next book. Once you finish doing that, two other things you have to do. You number your pages and that your headers, you highlight that and you set it up to repeat headings. So every page, you have the headings at the top. Then you select that uh, first row that has your concepts. And in Word, you go where it says, Sort it has like an A, a downward arrow, and a Z. That is sorting things alphabetically. You click on that. So then everything that dealt with your concept around women colon challenges or everything around whatever the terms are, they all flow together. You print them out. And then what was your working abstract now becomes your working document because your first two sentences were that your hook to get your people in. You flesh out that first sentence becomes paragraph number one, flesh out the second sentence becomes paragraph number two. And where your thesis statement, paragraph number three, you said that's your introduction. Then you cut and paste all the other parts. And it's like, because when you sort it, it sorts everything together and you sort it out and then you read. And so you already got almost a first draft before you ever get started. And then you read through it and you may say, wait a minute, paragraph three is better to introduce this section. So you cut it and you paste it number one and you do that throughout the whole paper. Using this idea, you can do an article in the weekend. I, I, uh, I have to say that your table was the best thing that helped me in my writing for my dissertation and my doctoral journey. It was the best thing when I, I never had to go back and try and find, oh, where did I find that? What, what book was that in? I already had the citation, the page number, the author. And if I needed an actual quote, I had the quote. 
if I had my notes about the quote, I had that right there. It, it is the best thing since sliced bread for anybody working on a doctorate, a, 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 a high school paper, for any anything you're looking to write about, and it has to have footnotes or endnotes, that table is the bomb. And I had my seventh grader uh, friend of mine, Julian, to read it. And he's the, he's the one who did the last blurb on the book in the back. Because I said, Julian, I need you to read this. And I said, did it work? He said, oh, yeah, Dr. Cheryl, that was great. He said, I learned that I should not use run-on sentences. And I learned that I could enjoy writing. Yes. So it's from seventh grade all the way up. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so Dr. much. Dr. Kurt Dugan, you just helped someone this moment, um, Gail Rice is working on, she's about to write her dissertation. She needed to hear that just then. <laughs> yes, baby. If you, wow. if, if wow. you do it from the there. very beginning of your research, you oh, won't wow. have to worry That's right. at the end. It, I, That's I tell cool. you, it is from, from every paper that I wrote, I used that, that table. And it was a blessing, a big blessing. To me, wow. which is why I could get through my doctorate in three years. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Dr. Kurt Dugan, um, for priceless um, information. This is so very valuable. We thank you for your time. I know that you have a class that you have to um, begin to facilitate and to teach. And so we thank you um, for stopping by Timely Wisdom on today and blessing us with your presence. Um, we must have you back. Thank you all so much. Thank you for providing this platform and this space. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. May God continue to bless and keep each of you. And just let me know. We'll show up again because most times the classes are on Monday and Wednesday. This week, because of the King holiday, it was on Tuesday. So if wow. it's on Tuesdays, I can generally make it give me enough uh, time and everything. Okay. Wow. Thank you so much. You all hit the heart buttons. Um, and thanking Dr. Kurt Dune. Thank you so Bless very much. You. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Oh, yes, that was awesome. That was wow, awesome. wow. That was absolutely uh, tremendous. We want to thank our viewing audience for um, jumping in with us at the 5 p.m. time. Um, pass the word, pass the word. The time of the wisdom is on at uh, 5 uh, p.m. And uh, let's see, we have a return guest. Uh, yes. That is coming. Someone's written week. in there. They want to know the name of the book of Dr. Kirk Dugan's book. And she has a form in there. Breaking free to write from mm -hmm. fear to finish. Mm -hmm. Breaking free to write from fear to finish. Dr. Cheryl Kirk Dugan. Awesome mm -hmm. book. Looking forward to next week. Who we have, Dr. Br Dr. Bradford? We have none other than Dr. Irie Sessions, PhD. Come on in the room next week at five o'clock Central Standard Time. It's a good place to be, timely wisdom. Mm -hmm. All right, God bless. Bye.